The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Philip Lagerkranzer, Senior Editor for Crypto, standing in today for Stacey Marie Ishmael. It's Friday, October the 28th. This week in crypto, we are settling into crypto's new norms, like Bitcoin now being range-bound, trading steadily at around 20000 And we're still waiting to see if the so-called October will indeed shake out. But hey, trading is still happening, and the SEC's uptick in regulation efforts are being viewed by investors as a boon. According to the latest MLive Pulse survey, would-be crypto investors are cautiously optimistic about having more crypto guardrails on the way. And finally, we have a big story. Actually, the one story to rule them all. And that is The Crypto Story by Bloomberg columnist Matt Levine. Here to help me break down the latest is Bloomberg Crypto senior editor Ana Herrera. If you're grandma and you are going to park $70 into Bitcoin, you might want to read it too and like figure out why you're doing it. And Bloomberg reporter Mu Yao Shen. This time when we have Matt Levine write a whole story about everything in crypto that you need to know, I think people are looking at it more positively. Hello and welcome. All right, let's get straight into it. In the news about crypto markets over the past week, um, kind of could be forgiven for saying that there wasn't a news in terms of movements um, at the very least. Mu Yao, um, let's kick it off with you. You've worked on stories, written stories about what uh, people are doing to cope with this lull and how they're making money in, in a time where there's pretty much no volatility. Could you tell us a little bit about what you found out through your reporting. Yeah, of course. Um, I think, you know, uh, crypto has been attractive to a lot of traders for the longest time because it was because of the high volatility. But now the volatility is gone. Um, the obvious, the most obvious and popular approach by a lot of traders and investors right now is sort of parking their money in real hard cash. Like, a lot of investors and traders in equity markets too. Um, and other things I found was interesting or sort of like a more crypto uh, native is that uh, I saw people are sort of betting on both sides of the market. Um, you know, like because of micro environment, there are traders who have been shorting the market for a while. Um, some people have told me actually, which I, as again, I thought it was very interesting that they have been taking long positions uh, just because they think uh, there are too much of people, too much short interesting. They think it might be a good as well as a good time just to pick up some long positions. And now we sort of coming to late October and we are coming to the face, um, to face this question of, Will there be um, what we call October in crypto parlance, which is basically October 
has a pattern of being an up month for crypto. Um, believe we are now looking at 7% up for Bitcoin this far into October. We've got a few more days of trading to go. Can Anna, could you talk us through a little bit about what the sense among traders that we interviewed for that story was? I, I think what's, you know, what's interesting, um, you know, you mentioned 7%, right? Just tying it back to what we were discussing about volatility is, you know, 7% in a month might seem a lot if you're talking about, a, you know, fiat currency. But for crypto, you know, back in the golden days, you would get 7%, you know, in minutes, not in in a month. Yeah. So it, it's quite interesting that, you know, we are now, we're looking at this sort of low volatility and how the sort of the asset appreciates very slowly or not, doesn't swing. And while it is, you know, maybe not very um, attractive for traders, it's it's an interesting thing because the industry has, says, has said for a long time that one of the reasons why it was hard for Bitcoin to take off as a means of payment was because it was so volatile. So why would you like imagine having to pay your coffee and then the next minute like you've paid like, you know, 7% more because it's gone up. I, you know, what I find interesting, I wonder if like now that actually the asset is less volatile, then it will be used more for something, maybe not payments, I don't know, um, or whether that was just not the reason why it wasn't being used. Maybe it was because it wasn't useful for, for payments because we had other forms. Yeah, it's a, it's a valid question, I think. And it, it ties into sort of the next subject matter that that we've been covering. And it's this, you know, well, you've had this lull in trading, but at the same time, we've seen a lot of action on the regulatory front. We got the SEC stepping up enforcement. We got action happening from Singapore to Hong Kong to, to Europe um, and different parts of the world. And we actually did um, an M Live Pulse survey last week. And some pretty interesting results uh, when it comes to how people, how would-be investors are viewing this positive, negative for crypto. Anna, could you talk a little bit about what the conclusions to that was? I think the top line there was that, you know, the vast, well, not the vast, but almost 60% of respondents to the survey found that the fact that there was more legal action on um, crypto is positive for them. So they're more likely to invest because of this. And this is like super counterintuitive if you just think about it on the on a high level, right? You think, oh, wow, maybe I should be scared because all these regulators are coming and you know what happens to the value of my asset if it turns out that it's a security and, and it wasn't registered. But I guess it speaks to the fact that the industry has been calling for more regulation for many years. and. It here in the UK, in the US, and perhaps even if you're not happy with the results of what, you know, enforcement might be or regulation, maybe it's better than nothing because it give you, gives you clarity on what is okay and what isn't. And then within that framework, you're more free to, you know, do what you want and you know, at least know what the risks are and you can assess them more clearly. Yeah, exactly. And there was a quote in a story that kind of just sums it up for me and it goes like this. The more they can do to get crypto out of the Wild West and into traditional investing, the better off it's going to be. And Muyao, um, you know, considering what happened this year from the Terra breakdown to Celsius through, you know, all the blowups and mini disasters, well, not mini disasters, we, some of them were pretty major disasters. The people that you talk to in the industry, how do they reflect on this? Yeah, um, I was just thinking about this story that um, uh, we were just talking about, about how regulation is going to affect the crypto space. You know, like um, for the longest time, when I was talking to a lot of people in the space, 
or you call crypto native people about um, the impact of Seattle and uh, Terra, Luna, all these things, um, you know, a lot of them were very upset and sad and disappointed because it make crypto look very bad to people. But it was very interesting was talking to a lot of people who entered to the space this year. Um, they were actually happy about it. They were like, I'm glad this happened so the regulators would have come after them. Well, regulators are pushed to giving some sort of guidance of what they should do and what people should do. And they think this good for the space in general in the long term. And therefore, and more people would have come to the space as there will be more frameworks and more regulatory uh, clarifications around crypto assets. I want to move over to a, a, a topic that is along the same lines, um, at least as far as government involvement is concerned. We have a new prime minister in the UK. I believe it's the third in roughly as many months. Um, Rishi Sunak. Anna, you've done some reporting around this. You've done a bit of reporting about the crypto landscape in the UK. Sunak was obviously part of that as chancellor. Can you tell us a little bit about what sort of his signature moves around crypto were before the Boris Johnson government fell apart? So, yeah, so as chancellor um, of the Exchequer, obviously you oversaw the Treasury. And while the UK had been a very kind of conservative on crypto up until then, the industry saw a bit of hope this spring, particularly with one of the secretaries to the Treasury, John Glenn, who'd given a speech where the point was that they wanted to make the UK's crypto scene more attractive uh, globally and make it more competitive. And part of that was giving regulatory clarity, which again is a point we keep uh, touching upon. So I think that the sort of appointment of Sunak was seen in the immediate as potentially positive for crypto because, you know, first of all, that he's a known entity, right? As if he was chancellor and they'd said these things, uh, you know, they 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 had been talking to his team had been talking to crypto, so you don't have to go talk to new people. Like they know who's there, and perhaps he has an understanding of the topics and what the issues are. And then, generally, obviously, like there's so much that <laughs> the UK government has to do that isn't crypto. We all talk about crypto and write about crypto and edit crypto stories all day, but we are, you know. We live in the real world, so we know that, you know, perhaps tackling um, the energy crisis or inflation or in a potential economic crisis is perhaps pressing matter for a new government here. But for people in crypto, there is hope that finally they will get some action quickly because they kind of felt as if they were in limbo for a bit with, you know, when uh, Sunak resigned and then Trust came along, you know, there wasn't really any, you know, sense of what was going to happen. Whereas now, perhaps mm. they can at least hope that the push that had been started will continue. Um, but obviously, there's never any guarantee of that. Well, uh, I guess we'll see in coming weeks and months if uh, Rishi can get a move on when it comes to crypto. We'll be right back with more of the week's top crypto stories with Anna Herrera and Mu Yao Shen. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.
a country that has really gotten a move on, at least when it comes to having a digital currency, is Nigeria. We're coming up now to the one-year anniversary of the e-currency there. And Bloomberg did a big takeout on that this week. Um, Anna, since you've been looking at CBDCs, I'm coming to you again to just kind of wrap up, sort of summarize, how's this gone? And are there any lessons for the myriad of other countries that are toying around with CBDCs, which I should explain are central bank digital currencies. Yeah. So it's not going great. Um, less than 0.5% of Nigerians are using the digital currency, according to our story, which is not not great, especially because Nigeria is a country that is pretty advanced in using cryptocurrencies in general. But the country has been pushing back on that and is making it harder for banks to to do business with with um, crypto firms. So first of all, sort of the story notes how there's been a bit of confusion from the population. They see the CBDC in a way as a crypto. So they're thinking like, wait, we're not supposed to use crypto. Are we? What is this? There's also a lack of like knowledge of it. And so it's just struggle to take to take off a year on. Um, that being said, you know, it takes a while for some of these things to to work and especially new technologies and get a network effect. What's interesting to me is that in a way you have like a government trying to build a consumer app, like a consumer fintech app in a way or like a consumer product. So like just the idea of you designing something that's technological today for three years from now is quite challenging if you think about it. Like, how do you make sure that people use it? And also just like the marketing effort that would go into it, right? Like, I think in Nigeria, they're trying to get rickshaw drivers, if I'm if I'm correct, um, to, yep. to, yeah, to use correct. it, right? Like, imagine like the central bank having to think like, in a way they have to think like a fintech firm or like a finance firm or just at the very basis, basics, like a consumer firm. Like, how do we get someone to adopt our product? Like, when have they had to think of that, right? So it, it's just it's just very interesting. Yeah. Um, I want to turn now to the big story of the week. And by big, I mean big, ginormous, uh, 40,000 words. Um, Bloomberg columnist Matt Levine's crypto story. Muyao, how has crypto Twitter reacted to this? I want to say it's more positive than negative because, you know, usually when a uh, media publication like Bloomberg writes about crypto, um, crypto Twitter or crypto native in general, like it's easier for them to criticize than uh, sort of, you know, praise. But this time when we have Matt Levine write a whole story about everything in crypto that you need to know, I think people are looking at it more positively as, you know, like, Finally, crypto is getting recognized and, you know, and then there's a really good explanation about a lot of turns in the space, which being kind of perceived by mainstream people as more complicated and hard to understand. And now you have a person who's really good at writing and really good at explaining things um, to more general readers. They, you know, every everyday person, like like my parents, I would want I would have wanted to know if this article ever gonna uh, translate into Chinese and maybe they would uh, understand crypto better, you know, like know what I'm actually writing about these days. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out that this is only the second time in Bloomberg Business Week's 93-year history um, <clears throat> that they've done something like this, i.e. Uh, 
cover-to-cover feature. The last time was um, a similar thing, slightly different. It's a it's a story, also a, a giant story called "What Is Code" by Paul Ford. Um, and certainly, if you do have the time and the focus and the patience um, to go through this whole thing, it's it's certainly a, a, a real primer for for crypto. Um, Anna. I was going to ask you a little bit, what, what do you think, or who do you think, what kind of target audience is this piece for? Is it for the, you know, the person who read the Bitcoin white paper back in 2008? Or is it for grandma who's just about to park, you know, 70 bucks in Bitcoin um, or somewhere in between? I think probably somewhere in between, but it is written in a way that if your grandma and you are going to park $70 into a Bitcoin, you might want to read it too and like figure out why you're doing it. Or maybe you're like a very super informed grandma and then um, then you won't need to. Maybe you are a grandma who read the white paper. Um, but, um, you know, what, what, what I find, what I found really like nice reading it was, um, and I'm not saying that I have finished it, but I, I have started it, <laughs> is that, um, you know, it comes at it from the perspective of, you know, I'm a person who finds finance interesting And this is why I find this interesting. I'm not saying you like, I believe this is the future or I'm not saying that I believe this is bullshit or this is all a scam. And like, I find that quite refreshing because having covered the sector for a long time, it's nice to have someone come at it from that perspective and say, hey, this is why you should look at it. I think it's definitely mm. like a really great read if you are someone in finance and perhaps are very skeptical or like haven't really been paying attention and like just have seeing the price go up and down like, you can look at it and like, here's an honest view that's like unbalanced in an explanation. And I will understand like what everything is and what everything does and why it's there and like what the fun parts are. And like, I might get a more informed view of whether I want to pay attention or not. And I don't think the point of it is you'll read it and you'll say, hey, now I want to invest. It's like, oh, now I, I really get it. And, you know, it is pretty interesting. Like it's you you leave it thinking, wow, it's interesting. And like, perhaps it's not going to go away. Um, and And to me, that's like, pretty valuable of something that is so fast moving and so like confusing and full of acronyms and full of bullshit even so you know it's it's definitely worth a read yeah cuts through the nonsense um folks go and check it out the crypto story by matt levine all right guys i think that's it well thank you anna and muyao you can find more of anna herrera and muyao shen's reporting on the bloomberg terminal on bloomberg.com and on twitter anna is at A-N-N-A-I-R-R-E-R-A and Mu Yao is at M-U-Y-A-O-S-H-E-N. Just in time for Halloween, on the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, we're going to talk about brains. No, 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 we're not. We're going to talk about zombie coins. It might still melt your brain. Don't say I didn't warn you. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter, we're at crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergalina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Undum. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. 
Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. Have a great weekend. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.